This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Goodbye, baseball, a walk-off. Winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive. This game is over. Birthday, goodbye baseball. Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Great to have you back with us as we have a lot to get to. This is going to be a good one. I think you'll enjoy it. We'll talk about the game last night. Mariners losing game one to the Twins. Back at it again tonight, game two of the series, and then game three coming up, day, day baseball tomorrow. This is going to be a fun podcast. Coming up, we're going to hear from Jared Kelnick. Had a chance to catch up with him late last week, so fun conversation there. Larry Stone's book on Edgar Martinez just came out. Shannon Dreyer sits down with Larry, one of our favorites. That's fantastic. And we get a good look at the Twins from Corey Provis the play-by-play announcer for the Twins, and their remarkable run continues. So we'll get to all of that. And they have played games like last night so many times this season. Great start by the Mariners, jumping out to a lead early on in the third inning, thanks to Edwin Encarnacion. Pitch. Swung on, drilled to left. Going back, going back, giddy up, gone! A three-run homer, Edwin Encarnacion. And the Mariners have a 3-0 lead here in the third for Edwin. Home run number 21. Takes his RBI total to 49. The Parrot going for his 401st (laughs) trip around the bases. Can you believe it? His eighth home run this month already. He has been remarkable with the long ball so far. He's out homering a handful of teams in the month of June so far just blistering hot the Mariners had a lead into the eighth but the twins would wipe it away and take the lead here is the set by Austin and the right-handers 1-1 on the way to Gonzalez swinging a ground ball base in into right field Cruz Ronnie third heading home up with the ball is Santana the throw will go into second base Marwin Gonzalez with a two-out RBI single scoring Cruz and the twins now lead it six to five and that would be the final, 6-5, to five, the final score. The Twins take game one of the series. Mariners could not hold on to their 5-3 to three lead. The Twins score three in the eighth inning, and that's the ball game. Leak was really good, seven innings, three runs against the Twins, but not enough. So game two coming up tonight, same time as last night as the Mariners look to even up this series. Day baseball coming up tomorrow as the Mariners... We'll try and keep the Twins quiet. Easier said than done. These are the two teams with the most home runs in baseball, and the Twins continue just to score at a pretty ridiculous rate. Powerful lineup up and down. So Mariners still have a chance to get the series, looking for their second series in a row. Here's Scott Service after the game. Skip, that is a tough top in the lineup, and it looks like Brennan was just having a hard time 
locating today. What did you see from that? Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, their, their, their lineup, you know, top to bottom, it was tough to, to get through. I thought Mike Leak did a great job, does what Mike does. He, you know, he commanded uh, his pitches well tonight. You know, they were starting to get on him a little bit and hit some balls hard in the seventh. And, you know, we had we played a good ball game. We just didn't finish the game. Uh, that's the frustrating thing tonight is, uh, you know, we gave them the chance to get some momentum going and getting back in the game, and, and they capitalized on it. So, um, you know, did some good things, but not enough. How much of that was with Brennan as experience for something that he's just got going on right now that he can't quite solve? Yeah, no, you know, Brennan's been pretty good throughout the, this season, but he's had a, you know, Stubbed his toe here or there, and it's been, you know, locating his pitches. You know, he gets uh, ahead of Kepler and, and doesn't get the change up down. You know, he leaves that one up and then falls behind Polanco and, and gives up a, another back-to-back doubles and, and, and a walk. So I uh, went to Adams after that. I thought Austin threw the ball well. Uh, you know, just not uh, quite enough. That The wild pitch was a big play in the inning as well. But, uh, again, uh, we did some, some enough offensively. Uh, had the lead, really good spot in the ball game. Just couldn't close it out. That's three real good starts for Leak in a row here. He seems to be putting some... Yeah, Mike's in a really good groove right now. You can see it. He's making quick adjustments out there, and, and the command of his pitch has been really, really good. So, uh, again, uh, outstanding outing by him. Uh, we just didn't get it finished off for him tonight. Yeah, Edwin is on a pretty good roll here, too. Yeah, Edwin's swinging about really well. And, uh, you know, disappointing, you know, the last inning, the ball's uh, off the plate. And, uh, you know, didn't, uh, you know, bases loaded, nobody out there. Uh, if May doesn't get the, the benefit of that call, but uh, you know Edwin is in a really good spot, seeing the ball really well uh, right now. Even though Kyle didn't get it done in the ninth, he had bat that he had in the seventh. I mean, what are you seeing? And you talked about his productivity, but just his quality of that bats in the last week. Yeah, Kyle's timing at the plate is, is getting much better, and, and uh, again, you know, battle is that butt off there at the end, and uh, you know, just not quite enough to get the big hit. But had some good at bats all night tonight. A couple big knocks for us. So good to see. We're going to need to to keep him going, and, and be great to see him get hot. You have guys that you've been using in situations from the pen and later in the game. Is it a matter if they just need to get through this and need to keep? Oh yeah, you got to right learn from it. You know, you have to learn uh, the value of the, the locating your pitches. You know, we struggle. We get ahead in the count as good as anybody in the league. We really are at the top of the list there, but we're near the bottom of the list in finishing guys off and making good pitches. You know, in the the o two one two counts and something we've talked to our guys about, talked to our catchers about, but we got to execute better. You know, when you get deep in those counts. Do you know who you'll open with tomorrow? Uh, I'm not quite sure right now. Well, we'll get back to you on that. There was Scott service. Mariners look to even things up tonight. Let's turn our attention now to Jared Kelnick. Check in with the Mariners' top prospect. Well, Jared, it's amazing to think about with the Major League Baseball draft going on right now. It was just a year ago you had your name called. Now, a lot has happened since then. What has this last year been like for you? Um, You know, it's been pretty surreal. Um, if you were to tell me uh, the day of the draft that I was going to be drafted by the New York Mets and be traded that same year and then end up in high A before the middle of the season, I would have told you that you're crazy. So I think it's been a, it's been a whirlwind, and um, it's definitely something that um, I'm not satisfied with yet, and nor will I ever be. But it, it's motivating to me to you know just continually compete every single day and try to be better. What has been the toughest adjustment during the course of the year? The toughest adjustment would just be uh, the mental side with failing and trying to overcome it. And instead of, you know, uh, getting frustrated at yourself or something like that, trying to find a positive to, you know, 
carry your confidence into the next at bat. Who are some of the people that you've leaned on that's helped you out in your young career? Definitely my dad, for one. My or Joe Randa, he's a hitting coach of mine. Another guy would be, I mean, Daniel Vogelbach reached out to me with the Mariners. I've talked to Reese Hodgkins a couple of times. There's little things that everybody chimes in, and I, you know, I, I dissect it and pull what I need to know and run with it. Daniel's had such a marvelous season up here with the Mariners. Specifically, what did he do to help you? I know at that time, the beginning of the season, it was a little bit of a struggle for you. You know, that just sacrificing that bat to get to where I wanted to be, that was the main thing, hmm. um, and that's what I did. And it's 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 really helped me throughout the, this entire season is that, you know, sometimes uh, I could have a hot streak and then come out and just be feeling like garbage and – all I need to do is sacrifice in that bat to get me right back on track because you get so many at bats and, and it's not necessarily, it's not throwing that bat away, but it's, you know, having the mentality of, you know, either going the other way or hitting a ball more out front, whatever the case may be, just so that you can trick your mind into doing what you want to do. When it's all said and done this year, what would you call a successful season for yourself? I would call a successful season that no matter what team I was on, that we won more than we lost. How has the time in Modesto been so far? It's been hot. It's been hot <laughs> here so far. Um, it's been it's been tough to get used to the time change. I don't. I usually don't have trouble with it, but for, for whatever reason, it's been really hard. I, I'm about I'm getting about five hours a night so far. It's tough, but. I would say, yeah, just the time change and how hot it's been. Well, there's a lot of Mariner fans that have been following you from afar, but not many have been able to see you play in person yet. If you had to describe yourself to someone that has never seen you play, how would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as somebody that can affect the game in every aspect, whether it's hitting, throwing, uh, out in the field, on the bases. I think... I would consider myself um, a player that plays the game the right way. Uh, I'm a grinder. Uh, I'm very intense, and I'm locked in at all times. And I think it's pretty evident um, when people come to the game. And I guess my goal is that when people leave the stadium that they can say that Jared Kelly is legit and plays the game the right way. And I know we talk about your bat a lot, but I know defense is very important to you as well. How important is being an impact player defensively for you? Just as important as it is on offense because there's some days where your your bat is just it's not going to be there. It happens, it's life. And I think when when your when your bat's not there, your defense can be there and needs to be there. I think that's the that's the complete player and um you know, baseball players get paid to hit and they get paid to play defense. So I think for me, it's just as important. In Arizona this year, you had a chance to play in some big league spring training games. What was that experience like for you? And how much has that helped right now? It's helped because, I mean, there I play in front of a lot of fans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that can be nerve-wracking early on in a young career. Played with some big-name guys. That can be nerve-wracking early on. Some, a lot of talent. And now it's just seeing where I fit in and sticking to the approach that I've developed through spring training and into my season that I'm just going out every single day and playing as hard as I can. If you had to name one thing you'd like to improve the most, 
What would that one thing be? In all honesty, I think in all aspects, my game needs to get better because, for one, I'm not a major leaguer yet. So if I had to solidify one thing, it would honestly be, you know, being a great, great teammate. And that's only going to come through experience and going through hard times and going through great times. But I think being a great teammate is going to be something that it's something that I value because, you know, 20, 30 years from now, all the guys that I've played with, whether it was in West Virginia, Modesto, Arkansas, or even in Seattle, they're not going to, they're not going to like remember my two for threes or my four for fours. They're going to remember how I was in the clubhouse and how I was as a teammate. So that's something that I value. What's been your favorite moment so far this year on or off the field? I mean, I think I mean being promoted was pr- pretty cool. Yeah. Um, just because anytime you get one step closer to the big leagues, I think that's that's amazing. I think every every single win um, is fun. So. All right. Well, Jared, it has been so much fun watching you from afar and and tracking your progress, and we'll continue to do that. Continued success, and thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And here's Shannon Dreyer with Larry Stone. We are just 42 days away from Edgar Martinez being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Earlier this week, I caught up with Seattle Times writer Larry Stone, who has helped Edgar write his autobiography. The book is already on some Seattle bookstore shelves, officially will be released on June 11th. It's really exciting. I approached Edgar in spring training uh, 2018, and I said, I I just went up to him on a practice field. He was the hitting coach at the time and said, you know, I think it's a good time to do your autobiography. I know a lot of people are interested in your life, and, you know, maybe it'll help your Hall of Fame campaign, and uh, would you be interested? I'd love to work with you. And he just thought about it right there on the field, and he goes, okay, <laughs> in typical Edgar fashion. And so all throughout last season, uh, when the team was at home, I would go out to his house uh, once or twice a homestand and sit in his living room and and basically interview him about his life and and uh you know obviously took a lot of (laughs) a lot of interviews to get through through his career and his growing up and everything but uh and then uh you know it's his words it's his life but i i helped with the writing and uh got a publisher triumph and here it is a subject like edgar martinez you've known him for years Mm -hmm. where do you start with that yeah, I mean, I, we just kind of did it chronologically. It uh, started with his um, uh, growing up, you know, fascinating childhood uh, when he, you know, the, the familiar story about how he, uh, you know, lived with his grandparents. What people may not know is that at one point his parents got back together and wanted to move the family back to New York. And, you know, and it was like seven or eight years old. And he did not want to go back to New York. He loved living with his grandparents. He loved living in Dorado, Puerto Rico, playing baseball with his cousin Carmelo and all that. And so he went and hid on the roof. He laid flat on this roof when his dad came to pick him up, the kids up, to go to the airport. And they took they took the other two kids, and Edgar stayed. They couldn't find him, and they finally had to leave. And so he ended up growing up in Dorado with his grandparents. And he believes firmly that his baseball career would have ended if he had moved to New York. You know, his brother, Elliot... Uh, did go to New York and, and kind of ended his, you know, he was a promising baseball player as well, but there was just no avenues for playing in New York with, you know, his dad wanted him to, to help do other do other things and take other avenues. So, um, you know, there's lots of little tidbits that came up that even though I knew his the, the outlines of his story, you know, in, interviewing him in depth, um, other stuff came up, obviously. Mm. 
Is there a, a favorite story that you can share without giving away too much or yeah. aspects that you enjoyed learning about? Well, one favorite story, when he was playing winter ball, I, I, I interviewed... One thing I did in this book, Shannon, was I, uh, I fleshed it out by interviewing people throughout his life and, and running little vignettes from Mike Blowers and Dan Wilson to Alvin Davis to all his minor league managers to people he grew up with. Uh, and Marco Oliveras was a very important person in his life. He was his uh, first winter league coach when he was playing in the winter leagues in, uh, in Puerto Rico. And that's kind of where he made his name on the island. And uh, interviewing Marco, uh, who actually Man, uh, he managed in AAA in the Angels organization, so he's, you know, he, he's uh, he's very familiar with both Puerto Rican baseball and, um, and American baseball. He, he mentioned that he about the time he got robbed at gunpoint. I go, what? <laughs> so, so I asked Edgar about it, and he kind of sheepishly told the story. He was uh, driving to a festival. He was going to uh, go with some of the players to a festival, and he stopped at a payphone. He had a brand new sports car. Uh, and when he was at the payphone, uh, another car drove up, and two guys got out, and one put a gun to his head and, oh. and said, give me your car. And, and Edgar thought he was a gunner, but he gave him the, gave him the car. And, uh, and then he ended up, uh, another guy who, who witnessed it picked him up, and they ended up actually chasing the, <laughs> the guy who had robbed him, which was, he admits wasn't a good idea. But uh, that's a story that, uh, that you never uh, would have... Uh, Figured Edgar getting involved in that, and then he was involved in another actually uh, incident where he almost got in a, a gun battle, where he was sort of in the, the wrong place at the wrong time. So, uh, uh, those are a couple of, of good stories. Uh, I enjoy talking to him about the you know things like his his batting stance, how he uh, you know his treatment of bats, and uh, really going to depth on that stuff, which is part of the Edgar lore. And uh, yeah, one one other quick thing is that. Uh, uh, he really was resistant to becoming a DH, uh, and he gets into that. So does Mike Blowers, and, and you know I talked to Lou about that. And uh, even though it turned out to be the best thing in his career, he did not want to do that. And uh, fi- he, Lou finally made a compelling case about why it was best for him and best for the team, and he reluctantly agreed. And, and it turned out, you know, he, he, it was a perfect fit and, and extended his career and made him a Hall of Famer. How much will people learn about his process and what he has done at the plate and what has made him the hitter? There's a whole chapter that I'm really pleased with on the mental. Uh, I decided to do a whole chapter on it because it was such a big part of who Edgar Martinez is. He will tell you that uh, the mental part he feels is as important to his success as the physical part. And he was, uh, well, what happened was there's actually an excerpt. Uh, this chapter is excerpt, excerpted in the Seattle Times uh, um, they were nice enough to run an excerpt, and this is the one I, I chose. He had a four-error game in 1990 against the Orioles. This, he had been struggling in the minor leagues to, uh, not struggling in the minor leagues, but struggling to get the, the Mariners' job. He'd been tearing apart the minor leagues, but they had Jim Presley, they had Darnell Coles ahead of him, and he was just kind of stuck in the minors. That's another big part of Edgar's story because he didn't get the stats. He, he didn't get the stats to, to pad his Hall of Fame numbers because he didn't. 
he didn't become a major league regular until he was like 26 or 27 years old. So he finally gets the job in 1990. Darnell Coles is so bad that they have to move Edgar in there whether they want to or not. And he just takes off at the plate. But he had this four-error game against the Orioles, and he was sure that this was in May. It was early in the season that this was going to be his undoing. And he was worried about his confidence and... uh, and he found himself not wanting the ball hit to him, and so he decided he had to like he had to change his mental approach. So he went to the store in Seattle and got a little book on uh, you know the, the uh, mental on mental uh, you know how to improve your your mental uh, abilities or your concentration. And this book became like his Bible, and he embraced these <clears throat> philosophies of of goalkeeping and self-talk and visualization and and all these things that he uh, sort of willed himself to uh, to eliminate the negative. He would do affirmations every morning. He would wake up and he would, he did mental uh, um, exercises for an hour a day every day of his career. Um, you know, eventually he cut it down when he sort of had it down. But uh, he he would do this stuff when he woke up in the morning and and when he got to the ballpark. Uh, uh, you know sort of convincing himself really in a way that uh, that he was a great player and and it it helped him he believes with slumps and uh, to, to keep them to a minimum and to get over them to to uh, stay cool under pressure and you know most notable the moment when he that he's known for against Jack McDowell in 95 playoffs you know this kind of was the culmination of all that he was in this this moment of extreme pressure and and he was completely calm and it, it was a large part because of his mental exercises so far ahead of the curve yeah. on that i mean that's years ahead which is i don't think people really know that story that's a great story and looking forward to getting more into that just got a few seconds left for visiting with larry stone who has co-written is co-written the right way to say i think it? so yeah okay yeah the edgar martinez biography yeah, right. that is it says with it's with. by edgar martinez <laughs> with larry stone it's called edgar and autobiography by the way very very good uh available wherever books can be found right now or and on amazon and on amazon and, uh, of course and every walmart target all that stuff <laughs> and of course uh, barnes and noble soon absolutely uh last question now you get to go kind of travel around, do the book signings with mm-hmm. Edgar. How's that experience been for you, and what do you think he's thinking of all this right now? Well, uh, I think he's a little bit taken aback uh, by the whole promotion thing. I think he kind of thought that he would uh, work on this book, and that would be the end of it. <laughs> he's not a self-promoter. No. He's just not. That's just not in his nature, and I think that's a uh, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it probably or may have kept him out of the Hall of Fame uh, for, you know, nine years until he got in on his 10th year because he wasn't big on the self-promotion. But he's going along with what he what he needs to go along with. <laughs> you know, we, I think we're going to do five total, but we're, we're going to space them out, uh, a couple before the Hall of Fame and then a few, uh, the rest afterwards. Yeah, you know, once you've done the work and the book's out, then, then this is the fun part. <laughs> well, enjoy. It's going to be a huge success. It already sounds like it is. Larry, thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Shannon. Thank you. And more on the Twins. Here's their play-by-play announcer, Corey Provis. And the 2-2 pitch, a swing at a high fly ball, deep left field, down the line, near the corner. Beckett goes and gone. Nelson Cruz had a lengthy at bat. It was only a matter of time before he put one into fair territory. 
a moonshot to left. He is now homered in four straight games, 3-0 Twins, and still nobody out. That is the voice of Twins broadcaster Corey Probus, somebody who's called a lot of home runs this year, i got to say. 125. Not all have been during my innings, but 125 home runs already, <laughs> which which matches the team record for most home runs before the All-Star break, and wow. it's only June 11th, so it's been remarkable. What, what a team. saying something. This team has hit home runs. Yeah, and I thought they would, but I, I also thought they would strike out, Shannon, at a really high rate, and for the most part, they've been able to limit the strikeout percentage per game. To me, that that's a big part of why this offense has been clicking now since opening day. We, of course, are visiting Corey Provis. Rick Riz is here, Dave Sims as well. And that's one of the intriguing things and in what this team, I think, is really getting right right now. I think you look at the trend in baseball right now, and it is okay. Strikeouts are okay if you're hitting home runs, but it's even better if you're not striking out and you're hitting home runs. Yeah. And that was the recipe for Houston, right? It still is, right? The Astros, they, they went a couple years ago when, when they were hitting home runs but also striking out at maybe the highest rate in the American League. Well, they've kind of cut that down where they rarely strike out. They were at least the last couple of years while still maintaining that amazing home run rate, and we've seen the success that they've had. Corey, we're taking a look at your ball club, and you have uh, the best winning percentage in baseball, along with about three or four other ball clubs right now. What has been the biggest change? You get some new players in that offense, including Nelson Cruz and C.J. Crone, but why are the Minnesota Twins playing so well this year in first place? Well, I division? think everybody points, Rick, to the offense, and understandably so, but let's not forget about the starting pitching. I mean, Jake Odorizzi, I didn't think, would be leading the American League in ERA no. <laughs> on June 11th, but, I mean, he has done that, and yeah. he was somebody that it was, was kind of at a crossroads in his career, much like Martin Perez, Jake, a free agent at the end of 2019, coming off, by his own words, a terrible 2018, so he tried something new. He spent some time, he lives in the Florida area near Tampa, went to Randy Sullivan's academy, uh, the Florida Baseball Ranch, and tried something new because what was what, what he had been doing wasn't working anymore. Yeah. And he bought into this new program, and he has really been a stabilizing presence with Jose Barrios, who's becoming an ace. You sure. know, and He was a, the, the, the Twins' number one guy, but I think now he's, he's trying to reach that upper echelon and become that ace in the game, and I think we've seen some signs from that too. Corey, it seems like the only guy... From what from my uh, tour through the uh, clubhouse, the only guy who's not really caught fire is Sano. Is it coming? Can you see it? It's it's not just the pitches that he puts into play, Dave. But look for Miguel when he's not checking his bat. When he's not, there's no check swing, and if he can avoid the slider down and away, which is hard to do, if he's not chasing that pitch, he's locked in. So it's not just you look at boy, he's hitting the ball here, he's hitting the ball there. It's the pitches that he's not swinging at. And if he's avoiding that slider down and away, if you don't see too many check swings, if he's uh, able to avoid that cutter tonight from Mike Leak that, say, misses outside, that then he's locked in. His OPS is good. He strikes out at a really high rate. It's going to come down. He's at, I think, over 40% right now. He's been high. It's not going to be that high. But I think his timing is certainly coming back after missing all that time with the lacerated heel that he had yeah. in the offseason. What are you seeing from Rocco Baldelli as a skipper? Very laid-back cat. He, he's somebody that is just that. You know, this wound socket rocket that uh, his nickname growing up when he was in Rhode Island, a freak athlete, good at everything, from volleyball to gymnastics to you, you name the sport. The guy was a freak, freak athlete, and obviously was a first-round pick in 2000 by Tampa Bay. But he is just somebody that from day one has said, all right, you guys are professional athletes. I don't need to put down on the board, be here at so-and-so time. We're going to do this today. We're going to do the same thing tomorrow, the same thing the next day. There are a lot of days where the Twins have had. Now, he was around Joe Madden, so you can see where this comes from, where the Twins have had these show-and-go days where they just show up maybe at 
430. Clubhouse doesn't open. You cannot come in until 4, 430. BP is always optional. It's always optional. If guys don't want to take BP, you don't have to. They can do their work underneath, T-work. They have other machines to get guys ready for the game. So it's just a lot of accountability. It now is not just, all right, coaching staff, prepare me to play and perform. It's now on the players to prepare themselves to get ready to compete on a nightly basis. You talked about Jake Odorizzi, but what a turnaround for your guy going tonight, Martin Perez, 7-2 and two this year. Last year with Texas, he was 2-7. and seven. What has he talked about the difference from last year to this year, Corey? He's, he's a whole new pitcher. He's a whole new pitcher that bought into some new ideas, and he incorporates his lower body more. So with that, they saw an immediate uptick in velocity. You'll see 95, 96, maybe 97. That that wasn't Martin Perez with the Rangers the last couple of years. You're also going to see this cut fastball, which up until his last two or three starts was playing really well. It's a pitch that he wasn't throwing in the past. He doesn't throw a slider anymore. His agent was pushing him to throw a cutter for the last couple of years, did not do it. And then finally, after he signed his deal with the Twins, it got down to Florida for spring training. He worked with the pitching staff, but also Jake Odorizzi. And Michael Pineda kind of tinkered with that cut fastball grip, and he's throwing it over 35% of the time. And early on, it was a great pitch, getting inside and righties. They were fouling him off. They were breaking bats, uncomfortable at bat. But lately, the command of that pitch, which he throws at such a high rate, hasn't been there. So it's starting in, keeps going in, and lately, batters have been laying off. So it's ball three, ball four, and that's why his command hasn't been great the last two or three starts. Tell me about free agent Marwin Gonzalez, because we've seen plenty of him, and he's done way too much damage to the Mariners when he was with Houston. April was quiet. The weather, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, played a lot to do with it. The weather was terrible here in April, and then once he got to May second, then. All right. Then then you started to see what he did with the Astros in 2017. And when Houston was was in town, uh, the question was asked to A.J. Hinch about Marwin. And, and A.J. said, look, wait, it's going to come. Give it time. And there's pressure, I think, on a guy signing as a free agent, new guy in town, some good money. There, there's pressure, added pressure, I would think, on, on those shoulders to perform. So I think now he doesn't need to be the savior on this team. It wasn't like, okay, now we have Marwin Gonzalez take us to the upper level, just blend in and bounce around. And with Miguel missing all that time early, Mm -hmm. you know, Marwin was playing every day at third base. He's played right. He's played left. He's played some first. He's played some second. He's just been a valuable asset to this team. 324 career against the Mariners with 100 hits and 18 home runs. I've seen enough. Yeah, I mean, the right side's good. The left side's good, too. (laughs) Goodness. Corey. I'm, I'm seriously now considering sticking around for the weekend. you got a Prince night coming up yeah. and then Joe Maurer weekend, number retirement. I mean, what is that going to be like? This here? is going to be, uh, I think, one of one of the better weekends in target field history, and they've had you know the pleasure, brief period, to host a playoff game. But not too often has that happened. But I think for a generation that, a younger generation that never saw Killebrew, that maybe never saw Puckett, that never saw Oliva, this younger generation saw number seven. They saw Joe Maurer play. They saw Joe Maurer perform. It's more than just a hometown kid. That's the added bonus to this. But a guy that 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 has a potential Hall of Fame resume, and you go back and forth on that and really look at the numbers, and it's a fun debate to be had. But it's going to be a great night to remember. Uh, the number seven's going up there with the all-time Twins greats in left wow. field. It's a who's who of Twins it. dignitaries coming back, so it's going to be a neat weekend. Oh, man. Wish we could be here, but we're going to have to move on, Corey. Thank you. One more thing. Yes. I, I hear I hear this may be a rumor that there may be a basketball game taking place at 10 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> that will Please tell me that's not, not happening. 
never, allowed. should never, never happen, happen again in this town, <laughs> right? It's not going to happen. We Corey. like you guys. I know. Stay healthy. The gym no is locked. I they are love. locking the door to nope. the gym. Love coming here. I yeah. may go to the gym. Nope. I'll be no basketball near the basketball. All right. No I'll way. close up the shop. Gary's going to play. All right. That's Corey Provis from the Minnesota Twins broadcast booth.